Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucksters, what's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF, the old standby, WTF, that's right, the podcast that's been around for almost a decade, WTF. Welcome to it. How's it going? You all right? I'm all right, I guess. I'm pretty good. Today on the show, I talked to the Beastie Boys, and I want to talk a little bit about that. A little bit about the Beastie Boys in general, but I'm going to hold off on that, but they are here, but you might want to hang out for the intro. I don't know where it's going to go right now, but uh, I will address some stuff. If you can fast forward and just get to it, you're going to enter into a world that I haven't set up for you. You think you know, but you don't know. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that mostly the case? You think you know, but you don't know. Are you big enough a person to say, I don't know? Are you a big enough person to go, I'm wrong. Are you a big enough person to say like, yeah, I fucked everything up and now I don't have a place to live anymore. That was kind of specific. Before I, I get to that, let's, let's, let's deal with what's in front of me right now, which is that uh, you can get uh, Too Real, my latest special, in audio format at uh, WTFpod.com. It's right on the front page there. It's nice to have. It's a nice gift. I think you can give it. I don't know. Uh, also, the dates... I've got a couple of dates up there that are happening. The Wheeler Opera House in Aspen, Colorado, March 23rd. Probably going to be snow still, right? The Boulder Theater in Boulder on March 24th. I'm going to be flying one of those little jets, right? Aspen, right into the bucket. Get on that little plane. You're like, ooh, we're swooping in and we're swooping out. Two dates. Those two dates at WTFpod.com slash tour. They're available. That's happening. You know, I, I sort of honed in on something that's probably pretty obvious to most of you and that is the incredible capacity for the human animal to be just immersed in fucking denial. Now I get hung up on this shit, but denial in the sense that like, you know what triggered this and what it was kind of this moment of catharsis, this kind of moment where my brain just went, oh shit, of course that explains it. It's, it's humanity. It's humanity is that, you know, in this federal court ruling that, uh, deemed Obamacare unconstitutional, the individual mandate. I, 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 I just started to ask myself, you know, who, who rejoices this? Who says, finally, we don't have to sign up for health coverage. Finally, that racket is over. Finally, we don't have to chip into the pot so we can all get coverage. I, who does? It's like, I, I, don't, I don't understand it on a policy level, but here's the fucked up thing is I started to understand it on a human level. Nobody 
except grown-up people who have faced adversity or seen it in their life. Nobody wants to think about getting sick. No, they just wait it out. You wait it. It's just something humans do. That's why there's such a strain on emergency rooms and on, you know, the existing healthcare system outside of Obamacare is that, you know, most people, sadly, I think most people, they're like, yeah, this cough is nothing. Nah, this will go away. This bump will go away. I'm putting some some salve on it. Now, this is like this, this, I, I don't think it's a goiter. I don't think it's a tumor. I don't think it's a glandular problem. I'm just going to put some balm on it. Some, uh, let's put some Arnica on that lump. And of course you wait it out. You wait it out. It doesn't go the way you go to the emergency room and it's like all over your body. It's gutting you. It's in your insides. It's something horrible because you waited because you didn't want to accept it. It happens. People do that. Why do you want to confront that shit? But then like the thing I put together was like, this is exactly what we're doing with climate too. It's human nature to rationalize and it's human nature to say, nah, I don't want to think about it. I don't know. I will deal with it. We'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. And then all of a sudden the universe has a tumor and it's planet earth. And it's caused by a very sort of self-involved rationalizing species of monsters. Anyway, ceramics, I went to a ceramic sale at a house in Pasadena. There were several people in the backyard, all of them ceramicists selling pots and uh, vases and plates and dishes and art and whatnot. And I, I, I bought a little bit from everybody, but I bought this teapot from this woman who I think was Danish. And it was so beautiful and so balanced and so perfectly weighted. And the spout looked great. And she like was clearly attached to it. And I picked it up. I'm like, how much? And she's like, oh, that one. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah. I'm like, what, do you want to keep it? There's that moment where people, I don't know how people with art who do art of any kind do that. Like you put so much of yourself into something. She's like, that's perfectly balanced. It doesn't leak. It's like, she was so, she talked like an engineer about this teapot she made. And it was so perfectly beautiful, hand thrown, just great. And I felt bad for a minute. I I felt like I was watching a, a weird detaching grieving process that lasted about 22 seconds. And then she wrapped it up and, uh, and I slid my credit card, but, but it was, I, I really envied the precision of, of how she spoke about making teapots. And I thought, see, why can't I do that? Why can't I put something in the world that's tangible and useful? I know this talking sometimes does that, but you can't, you know, you can't serve it at dinner. You can't go, Hey, uh, for dessert, uh, if you're wondering what, what you're eating out of, it's Mark Maron's words. You can't say that. Can you? I can. I can. Yeah. Anyways, the Beastie Boys. So here's the deal, man. I honestly, uh, for me, I was so totally on board. Uh, Paul's Boutique, Check Your Head, Ill Communication. I, I listened to the fuck out of those records. A little bit of Hello Nasty, but then it kind of dropped off. But I definitely listened to three of them like a lot now many of you know me uh you've known me for years i'm not a hip-hop guy i'm not oriented hip-hop wise it didn't it didn't register with me when i wasn't the age or like i've you know i listen to it now the bigger names but i certainly wasn't immersed in it and uh you know i knew the mainstream stuff so the beastie boys are the beastie boys okay you know sadly adam yawk has passed but, uh, you know, Mike Diamond and uh, Adam Horowitz are still with us. 
and they wanted to come on the show because they got this Beastie Boys book out. Now, my first reaction when I thought about it is like, how are they not going to be difficult? Not in terms of like, you know, you know like talking to them, but how are they not going to just be kind of dickish? It's just like, it's the perception you might have of the Beastie Boys. I mean, as great as they are, you listen to their music and you're like, that's just going to be hard to wrangle. Those guys are going to just run around me. They're going to, like, I don't know what it is, but it's not going to be the kind of interview I do. So I was resistant. And then they sent the book, Beastie Boys book, which is, you know, what they're out promoting right now. And I just, I started reading it and I read the whole fucking book because it really gave me insight into their music. There's a lot of pictures. There's a lot of essays by other people. Uh, Blake and Jonathan Latham are in here. DJ Anita Sarko wrote a piece in here. There's really a, a kind of a stunning um, essay in here that I'm looking for. Oh, uh, Luke Sante, Beastie Revolution, and also the the Latham episode was pretty great. But there's also the there's also a little chart, sort of interesting little approach to the feminist reaction to the Beasties, and also there's an essay by a woman who was in the band, Kate Schellenbach, who was who was kicked out of the band in sort of a uh, a, a rude way early on, and she wrote a piece. So they really balanced out. I never even really thought about the kind of uh, feminist reaction to the Beastie Boys in terms of, you know, who they were when they started, the language they used and how that might have offended. But, you know, they seem to get a pass and they seem to have evolved. Uh, I think they were just doing it as a, you know, it was a character thing. It was a, they were doing rap and it was the thing. And now they're grown men and they're fairly sensitive, I thought. And uh, well, whatever. The, the point is, there's great pictures. There's all kinds of ephemera about the records, about songs, about food. There's all cookbook. There's a Roy Choi cookbook in the middle of the Beastie Boys book. And there's just, it's I read the whole thing. I don't do that. There's all these essays by Mike and Adam about, you know, being in the Beasties, about, you know, the things that happened with, you know, a lot about Adam Yawk, who is he was no longer with us. It opens with sort of a eulogy. I love the book, so I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's have Mike and Adam on. Now, how how I approach it, you know, it's usually tricky with two people, but uh, I I wanted to learn a little bit about hip hop. I wanted to, you know, you know, connect and 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 talk about the music and talk about New York and you know and everything. And well. My original fears were were slightly realized, but not not terribly. I, I mean, the thing <laughs> they've been doing this a long time. I get it. Uh, it, but right out of the gate, it was clear that Adam was like, you know, didn't give. I don't know if he gave zero fucks, but he maybe gave one and a half fucks about being here. But Mike D was like engaged, and he was in it. And I'm not throwing him under the bus here. I think this might be just the dynamic they do—the good cop, bad cop shit, the sort of run circles around the host kind of business. But Ultimately, I got what I got, but I love the book and uh, enjoy. Enjoy me talking to the Beastie Boys. And I love this book as a guy who lived in New York and missed this time. But there was enough there was enough in New York left when I finally did get there to have a certain nostalgia for certain periods in the book. It really is a love letter to New York, to their um, their bandmate and friend that passed and just to, you know, the sort of great time in a way that these guys had. So this is me. Uh, Adam Horowitz, and Mike D.
talking. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. So I was at your house. Yep. And I met you briefly. Yep. And a very nice house. Super nice house. It's a very nice house. It's a rental, mm-hmm. but it's it is, is it. It's yes. Oh. Yeah. And I hate to compliment. I don't yeah. know if I should be complimenting Adam or his lovely wife Kathleen, but they really did. You guys really the backyard that night of that soiree looked mm-hmm. great. You guys really just yeah. Yeah. Mike, very nice Mike, out there. Whenever the rare times that Mike gives me a compliment. Yeah. It's as though I'm like his 11-year-old son. <laughs> well, it, it like, paid. wow, <laughs> you really, you did a great job tying your shoes. <laughs> Look at oh, you. Man. Look at you. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, it had a, it was a, it yeah. was a powerful. Well, and I have the same amount of amazement, I know. too. I could be like when, the, yeah. like when my teen sons actually like do something Great. Yeah. I'm like, oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't the same believe tone. you actually loaded the dishwasher without <laughs> me telling you. I can't believe it. It was a powerful night. That was a powerful situation. Uh, woman who spoke. Yeah. What was her name? Tina. They had a very uh, big impact on my girlfriend, who's a painter. She's going to name uh, the, her next show is going to be called uh, "The Sun Will Not Wait," which Tina brought up in her talking. It was a saying of some kind. Oh. Well, the uh, you know just uh, the charity is called Peace Sisters, and it's two pronged. And and my wife Kathleen's uh, is called Tees for Togo. T e e s. Yeah. F o r t o g o. Tees for Togo, and it goes to uh, forty dollars uh, can send a girl in Togo to school for a year. Yeah, yeah. and a, there's great T-shirt designs. To yeah, be, uh, designs. Uh, well, By, uh, assuming they're still available. Of yes. famous yes. people, by famous people. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. And I personally, I purchased the Ad Rock T-shirt. Oh, you did. And then <laughs> with this plan, I snuck it out of Adam's house, and then I wore it on stage. We were doing these shows to yeah. promote the book, and yeah. we were this this kind of stage stage spectacular, if uh-huh. you will, yeah. in the holiday season. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not so spectacular, but we tried. Where was it? At a bookstore? No, no, we, these Big are show? theatrical events. Oh yeah, I think th- in theaters. It was at the we in L.A. It was here at the esteemed um, Montalban Theater. And you guys performed. Yes, yeah. we we do sort of we we kind of adapted a version of the book Beastie Boys book. See, I'm being very professional, which That's is good. available. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, fine places now where you now. buy books. And we adapted it basically for the stage, yeah. if okay. you will. <laughs> really? And, are you yes, guys playing our, uh, yourselves? We've been playing ourselves for a very long time. <laughs> yes. in, yeah, in both senses of the word. But anyway, 
in the show, yeah. I, at some point, we do I do a costume change and I put on my Ad Rock T-shirt and wore it. And he, Adam did not comment. It didn't phase him at all. He didn't even notice. He seems very unfazed I, now. There's yeah. a there's a, sort of a vibe going on, sort of like uh, this has been going yeah. on for decades. Yeah, yeah. yeah. has been. <laughs> yes, yeah. whatever is really, happening. It's hard to get a rise out Mike, of you, Adam. See, for me, it's all about the kids. It's uh-huh. all about the children. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. it wasn't about the flashy shirt that you wore. It was about the $40. Okay, Mike? So <laughs> I appreciated it. Okay. Yeah. yeah but but, there, but right. I was in the workplace, so I didn't yeah, have time. Yeah, your tunnel vision. I, I get it. Very focused. I, I want to tell you, because you know, I'm very proud of myself, but I actually read this whole fucking book. Really? I read the whole- It's a lot of books. So you don't have it's like your assistant or as we talked earlier, your elves. No, <laughs> my, my one elf. The elves that, that don't exist, they well, don't the, read it and give you cliff notes. No, I don't, I don't do that. I can't do that. I, yeah, but the, the thing is with you guys is like, it was one of those things. I'm a couple years old you. I'm not that. I'm 55. I, I remember wow, listening- Wow, that's- Oh, I know, I know, man. Now, what, are you, what are you, 52? 50? All right, yeah, all right, yeah. all right. <laughs> We're not talking about me right now. <laughs> but like, you know, I knew the records, but I, I missed the whole thing. Like I was dug in doing comedy and I missed, I, there was a lot of things about hip hop in general and about you guys and about that scene in New York, even though I was there a few years later that I just didn't know about. So I was like, I better take a look at the book. But then I was like, fuck it, this is great. I, I loved it. It was like, a, it was not just about you and about the music, but about New York. I mean, about a New York that, like, mm-hmm. you know, is just not there anymore. Right. And it was, uh, it was like, nostalgic, and it kind of got me all warm inside. We meant to do that. No, I could feel that. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I well, I don't know about the warm inside. I like that, because I don't, maybe you, Adam, were that clearly intentioned. Well, but. I mean, we're, we're, we're here in California. Yeah. The warm part, we're. Right. That's true. We are ex-New you So you did time. In New York. In, yeah, in I was York, there. Right? Yeah, I was from 89. I was there to 89 to 92. And then I went back in like 93 to 2001. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was there a lot. Right. It was that one year. Yeah. 92 to 93. 92 to 93. <laughs> you were, what happened? <laughs> I, was, I was in uh, San Francisco. All right, it's all right. San Francisco. No, all right. You know, I, right. I got out. You had you to know. bounce out for a year. Yeah, it's I was mean, going back and New forth. New York is tough on people. Okay. It's a real, you know. It, was, it wasn't New York's fault. I just, it was, you know, maybe it was just, the, you know, the desperation. That's the other thing I like about the story is the, uh, you know, there was definitely ups and downs, even though you were pretty up for a long time. Mm-hmm. But when you, uh, like, growing up there in the 70s, it was fucking crazy. I mean, it was bombed out. It was weird. And you guys were able to just run around and no one, you had parents that, you know, like, kind of half gave a shit. Yeah. Well, no, we, I mean, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if they half gave a shit. It's kind of like part of the deal. We talked yeah. about that a lot. It had never even, I don't think, even dawned on us until we were writing this book. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Like, our parents just <laughs> let us run <laughs> wild in a New York City that's far more dangerous so like and wild 74? than it is now. Yeah, so in the 70s, exactly. So we were exactly kids in the 70s. And so I think that was, well, but that was back it up for a minute. I was seven yeah. in 1973. Let's, okay. Let's talk okay, about so it's not crazy. 78? Yeah. As a bison, you were yeah. a bicentennial child. You know, yes. you were 10. The bicentennial minute. The bicentennial, which was a big, that was a big year yeah. for New York City. I remember watching the fireworks, the whole <laughs> thing. But that was the, the nice, that was the glossy, that nice, was, like, you were young, sort of real Disney-like kids. part yeah. of New York. But the reality of New York, and, and that's what I was trying to get at, is that I think it was the thing of like we all had these art, whatever artsy type parents that all right. had made this decision of at that time if you had two or three I was the youngest of three boys so it was like if you had three kids you were out of the city yeah you moved to Westchester or like Hastings on the Hudson yeah. or some bucolic nice 
place sure, uh, that was, was the a idea. little bit away and then you could safely raise your family away from all this chaos but our families like to, where these families decided like no this is this is for us we're part of this like urban renewal culture yeah. and this is where our lives are going to be and so that was kind of like the deal was like all right we're we're buying into this so our kids are just going to run wild somehow well, actually you know what it's different because your mom grew up in new york yeah she's right? a, so she's from here my parents were like the the freaks that came to New York to right. be free to be artists, which is more common, yeah. In the sixties, which is more common, yeah. In the sixties, yeah. so or l- late, yeah. In the sixties, yeah. Early sixties, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's different. True. I guess I hadn't thought Although about that. Like, my parents my mom, came, but your mom was there. True, but if you ask her, she looks at it like she made it out of the South Bronx. <laughs> Like that was her, you know, her aspiration was to make, she looks at it like she went to New York because that's where all the cool stuff was happening and she just wanted to get out of the Bronx. But both of you grew up in very artistic sort of intellectual households, like open-minded, you know, you were learning things. You had everything the city had to offer sort of came through your parents because they embraced it and they, you you know, there was no real restrictions. They were very encouraging, it seemed like. Um, Yeah, I grew up in Greenwich Village. I grew up downtown and, and we were just sort of left to our own. You know, uh, the city was your babysitter. We just sort of figured it out. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I knew where my mom was. My mom had a store, and so I knew to be there. You know, when the sun went down. Yeah, and that's when she closed the store. So I just had to be there then. Don't you look back at that as like this tremendous gift? Like just like it was an amazing childhood. Yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting mm-hmm. how how parents are with their kids now as opposed to then. Do you remember? Yeah, go I, ahead. I, I I I loved my childhood. I loved running around New York. It's yeah. so it's bizarre to me that because like that that's uh, people always talk about just how fucking dangerous it was, but there even now there's always people out. There's a safety that I feel in New York that I don't feel here. That you, you know that I can always walk outside and it's like mm-hmm. no, there's a lot of people here and they they'll take care of me somehow. Right. Well, in 2018, the people walking around late at night in New York just might help you, yeah. whereas in 77 <laughs> yeah. they they would not. They were probably on angel dust or other substances. Do you really think then. that? I always feel like that if somebody goes down to New York, out of everybody walking no. by, someone will no, step not in. No, then. my favorite, my favorite is fucked up, but I was crossing the street, this is a long time ago, <laughs> and an old woman fell in the yeah. middle of the street, and right. a fucking van comes barreling around the corner and screeches right next to her, right next to this old lady on the street, yeah. and the guy screams at her, fucking Giuliani, and then just takes off. <laughs> and we're like, what does that mean? And then we helped the lady up, and I was like, was that did he mean like Giuliani didn't like fix the streets so they were she tripped yeah. over I don't what did yeah what did he have to do with this poor I don't old know woman? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> but, but so that's a that's a bad example that lady didn't get help I no, that was no a good but example. I but, but I I think that that's the point is that in that this seventies New York that we're talking yeah. about from our childhood it's yeah. like you you kind of just there was the stuff that you accepted as normal which you would never ever see today so like seeing car like the thing the term cars on blocks like i remember walking like on the blocks between columbus and amsterdam yeah. my house on the upper west side every day you would see and they'd sit there for weeks and weeks you'd see block you'd see cars where people had taken tires and the rims off of and they're sitting there on cinder blocks and that was just what you see or you'd see every day yeah. not there would not be possible to walk down the street and not see a, a car whose window had been busted out to grab the nothing set gra- deck or grab, whatever's in they'll there they'll break exactly. in for change yeah right. but the, but but the thing is a neighborhood is a neighborhood right and if if your kids you know roaming neighborhoods you know most likely at least for me my mom owned a store yeah and the store next door you know I where knew, was it it was in greenwich village what on was 10th street it was a, it was a used clothing store for kids it was called g the kids need clothes 
And so I knew everybody in the neighborhood. Fallaway is a great name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm and saying. so you know I knew everybody in the neighborhood. They knew me. They knew my mom. Yeah. You know what I mean. So like I'm sure your mm-hmm. mom knew the guy yeah. at the bike store on Columbus and 80 whatever street. You know what right. I mean? Like and all well, those it's people. An, it's in the a weirdly rigged game. Like I remember like that was like the big in terms of this freedom. Like at the beginning, like back to school. You know, my parents were pretty res- like responsible. My mom's like yeah. a responsible parent. She's like, okay, you're going back to school. You go. You need to go get your back to school clothes. So there was like yeah. the store on Broadway where we go, and it was, but it was kind of like a rigged game. Alexander's. Like they, they, <laughs> no, it was Mor- Morris Brothers, and but it was like rigged with Mr. Morris. Right. They're he like, knew. This is how much my kid can spend. Right. Right. Yeah. So I felt totally autonomous. Like I'm. Oh, okay. I'm walking here. I'm like I'm eight years old. I'm walking to the store to like pick out whatever I want from back for like my back to school gear i think i'm going to get dressed up like michael jackson in the cartoon no this is going to happen be great but yeah well he kind of you know you just he would steer you a little like maybe not so much purple and fringe <laughs> for you right now were your parents both were they together through your childhood no 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 so what when were they no but separate? i don't think you were allowed to in the early <laughs> no, it was weird. i mean really most in that time when we grew up yeah I mean, my parents were in all and they stayed together until my dad died basically mm-hmm. so um, which is still young for me, but but, and then I was brought up like just a single mom household. But but most, I don't know. I just remember like most. Everybody it was was Adam, Adam Yauch's parents are the only parents that yeah. I could think of from our childhood that, that, that stayed that together. Stayed together. Yeah. They stayed together the whole run. Whole run. Yeah. Are they still around? Uh, his, uh, mom, his mom, Francis, still, is still alive. Yeah. Noel passed away uh, sometime. Couple of years this ago, maybe two years by ago. Way too fast, right? Is now. It, isn't it now? Yeah. As we as you get what older, happens. I know. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but when you wrote the book, did you like how how did it make you feel to see your whole life spread out like that? I mean, did did you feel older? Were you able to relive it, or did you feel you got a lot done? And you had you seemed to have a really good time. Definitely had a good time. Um, I mean, it's 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 interesting. Like everything that's in that book is pertaining to our band. Yeah. And so it's not really like. Oh, right, my right. specific life. It's right. my specific life. In and same thing with Mike. So yeah, it's meaning it could have been a lot bigger. This book could have right. been a lot longer. Well, but the band also. It's yeah, you were in a band for a the long. The band was time. our lives, and I think that's one of the points we, we we kind of make in it. And Adam does it really well. Is like we would just hang out with each other all the time. What was your point? Yeah, the primary focus was punk rock, and you had a, a resistance towards like mainstream rock. I mean, the primary thing was just getting attention. Yeah. Or just you know like know. Ha- yeah. hanging out like something to do to hang out. But I don't and think it was getting attention. Me, it was like I was for I, me. I wanted. It was for me. <laughs> yeah, no, but Still I is. I really I wanted to to be able to love something that like most of the kids. I went to this like private high school on the Upper West Side, um, in junior high school. Then I switched to going to Brooklyn Heights. But yeah. so these progressive schools, and most of the kids were kind of like these hippie-ish type kids that would listen to whatever normal yeah adolescent Dad, stuff whatever now you go to like hendrix oh yeah yeah um black sabbath the sure, who sure whatever so i was desperately like what do i find that's that i'm gonna love that yeah. none of them are gonna how am i gonna be different to how yeah. am i gonna be different exactly. yeah i mean we, when we were kids when we were kid kids pop music was pretty amazing what they played on the radio True. just the variety of things like you'd yeah. have david bowie fame Right, Carol King. There's so many different styles of music played right. on just top ten. Leo yeah. Sayer. Leo Sayer, yeah, big name. Right, 
big no, but, but it is true. Like pop hit? music, you'd hear everything from. Uh, wait, Leo Sayer uh, was. Leo, it's got the word. She make me feel like dancing. Ooh, oh, that one. Yeah, should, you should I, sing wasn't more of that. <laughs> should, you should just keep. It's singing really that. embarrassing. There's a slow one. Just saying the name, but you can't just say the name to the Leo Sayer song. You gotta do the. Yeah, you gotta do the slow like dancing. Woo. Dancing. Uh, yeah, he yeah. definitely had a slow one. Yeah, I can't remember he what must it was. Have had a you slow make my jam. heart. I mean, that high voice. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That high voice would be a waste if he didn't have a I slow remember, jam. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. those songs that, like, even like I, like Harry Nilsson songs. Like, oh yeah, Harry me and Day. my arrow. But that's the point. AM radio. Like we, would, yeah. I remember like vividly as a kid. Like I'd wake up to like I had the clock radio by my bed because I was like the youngest of three kids so my mom at point like for me I had to get my own shit together to get to school on time <laughs> yeah, yeah. like my mom was over it by then so I had the clock radio and yeah. AM radio you'd hear like what Adam was saying like you'd, Paul Simon would come oh, on like yeah. 50 ways to yeah. your lover then some disco song like boogie oogie woogie so that was the backdrop disco song would come and then wild cherry play right, that right. funky, play that funky like, music yeah. it, so it just it, it was like yeah, this weirdly why? Even though it was all pop music, but it's wide. It was weirdly wide open. I think in a way. So when punk, and so when you're when you're young, and then when you get to be, you know, when you start to form your own yeah. sort of identity, that's when you gravitate towards the thing that's you. And I feel like pop music in 1979. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It was, it was kind just, of disco, wasn't it? it? it, it well, oh, like cocaine had really taken its effect yeah. on yeah. popular yeah. music. Yeah. Right. Just shit was just weird and punk rock just and mike and i were lucky that we had older siblings and so they kind of introduced us to some things that you yeah. that we really gravitated towards like, like what the clash oh yeah the clash for sure or like i had the older brothers that like brought home devo record like, oh I, I, yeah I, like, devo. I was like what is this, this is the yeah. weirdest fucking thing i have ever seen i still to this day like what do you compare devo to nothing like yeah they're, they're a singular so there's that moment where you realize there's something else going on out there that is not in the periphery. Yeah, yeah. This, and this is from these. This is what I want to be. Yeah, this is who I am. What's so your older siblings that. turning on to? No, I think the Clash. You know, was, was it, it when we were little kids? Me and my brother and sister would listen to same thing with Mike Jackson Five and all of that great stuff yeah. when we were kids. Yeah. And then as you get older, you want to you know choose the thing that you're going to be. Yeah. Exactly. That you are interested in. Yeah. And for us, it just sort of happened that punk rock you know, in 77 blew up enough to come over to America and then bands in America and the Ramones and it just sort of was all happening that we got in touch with that at a, at a young age. The whole New York punk scene, like yeah. sort of yeah. like so came we, up when you were like 15, 16? Well, no, no we no, are no. too young. Too young for See, that? Again, just, again I, you know, I'm noticing I'm a trend I'm sorry, here I'm sorry. Uh, of some advanced I'm three years techniques. older, I, I apologize. <laughs> no, no, yeah, we were, we were too young for that initial like CBGBs, For the New York Dolls and Ramones, shit. Ramones, yeah. definitely New York Dolls, but even the Ramones, Patti Smith, Talking Heads, right. that era we were we were still whatever ten, 10 years old, yeah. so we were even in all our freedom. We weren't going to CBGBs <laughs> as ten at year olds. Like that that, no, that had to were wait. at thirteen at, and yeah, 14. fourteen. We were. Yeah, they would let you in at ten, right? Yeah, no, I, they probably would have. Like <laughs> I didn't mean, nobody on who you were with. Yeah, I mean, but certainly as thirteen and fourteen year olds, we went everywhere, and that included bars, whatever, because it was that 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 was another aspect to New York. Then you could was, do that, yeah. You could do that, and the drinking age was eighteen, so it's kind of like, yeah, basically they were like that. The the myth was always if you if you could reach the bar, you could get yeah. a drink. So where did you like? Where did you all meet? Uh, well, I met uh, Adam Yauk, yeah, MCA at a Bad Brains show. So Bad Brains were like this weirdly they, incredible. Hardcore yeah. band from Washington D.C., but then moved to New York, and and they were faster 
and kind of for us like that was next level exciting to yeah. the punk rock and i just happened to go to this teeny bar i saw an ad for them playing cause yeah this is boys and girls way before there were things called smartphones uh-huh. adam likes me to show the phone i actually i actually hate it with <laughs> Mike <laughs> normally would take the phone out of his pocket. And illustra- and I'm like illustrating the point, Adam. That's what I'm doing. But anyway, so, so you met him but no, at, so at you a did, I saw an Adam went with like my one other uh, punk rock friend from high school who was named John Barry, who was the first guitar player in Beastie Boys. We go to the show, and there's all there's like 12 people there, and there's only one other like young teenager, yeah. one other teenager. Period, and yeah. it was Yauk. Yeah. And so I was scared, way too scared to start talking to him, but. John, our uh, my, our guitar player, he had uh, he was more socially skilled. Oh, it than wasn't because was, Yauk so had, had an aura or a presence. No, well, Yauk was cool because he was wearing this like trench coat and yeah. he had a couple of homemade buttons on it. And yeah. he he his he he was more advanced and more skilled in punk rock looking than I was. I was still looked like this like schlubby, yeah, and Jewish kid stuff, from yeah. the Upper West Side. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't yeah, have yeah. it all down yet. Certainly not the chiseled, <laughs> hunkish look <laughs> you have now. <laughs> And where did you guys meet you? Oh, man, it was Milan, um, <laughs> 72, yeah, yeah, yeah. must have been. On a film set. <laughs> yeah, we were listening to Metallo Disco. It was like 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, sun was coming up. You know, that slow, sleazy disco. <clears throat> um, I, I, I think I met Adam and Mike for the first time at uh, the Black Flag at Peppermint Lounge. I think. I'm not 100% sure. Like, well, I kind of remember Rat Cage. This is a record store we'd all hang out at, but the, the basement one on one on Avenue A. That was like the Rat Cage was sort of your second older sibling thing in terms of turning you on to stuff, right? Yeah, there was this record store that we would all sort of cut school and go and hang out at. Yeah. And um, Some of us would go after school, Adam, like having completed a school day. No, I, I and then take I, the subway I, I, there. I'm just saying. No, I know. I'm not. I didn't mean to implicate you. Um, anyway, it was like our hangout. It was really yeah. cool to have like a, a hangout, like it's a punk, the best. punk yeah. hangout. Oh, it's the best. And it's also <laughs> that thing. Like I think we try to get across in the book is like that at that time in New York. That's how you to find out what was going on. You had to go to point A to run into this friend or that friend or just not, even somebody you don't know that's like oh yeah you should got you guys should go to this thing tonight sure, yeah. otherwise you have no freaking idea like what yeah because it wasn't it wasn't mainstream and you didn't even know if the bands were playing and you had to sort of be in the loop to figure out yeah. what was going on or even get the records at that point right? i just got sidetracked thinking about our circle of friends in 1982 and how we all sort of gravitated because manhattan's an island right yeah and so but there's some some of us were in brooklyn heights a little deeper into brooklyn yeah and then mm-hmm. mike's uptown mike and john were way uptown and we're in the village but like, so you and John came down because you met right. Yauk and mm-hmm. Yauk and Arabella, right? Mm-hmm. And then Yauk went to school with well, Yauk uh, was Maggie still going Ginsburg. to he, no, he was still going to school way out in Brooklyn, at, not right, way Murrow. way out, but pretty far. It's pretty far, pretty deep, like Murrow. And, and yeah, then, he was the one punk rock kid at Murrow, which is must have been tough. It was <laughs> that hell. was that was <laughs> that was hell for him to be like in deep Brooklyn and just have all these like buttons, these like <clears throat> ID Guido dudes yell at you every day because yeah. you're like the weird freak looking kid. Yeah, there's never a shortage of commentary in New York on the street about who how you look or what you are. Oh, yeah, definitely, and much more then. I feel I don't. I feel like now it's people less. are probably reasonably polite. Like I then I, it was like that was the normal. If, if like I was gonna walk by like the the Hayden Planetarium, which is where, where the subway is, and and I was like a Friday or Saturday night, and that's when Laser Rock was going on, it was right. like, 
all these guys getting wasted sure. to go see Laser Zeppelin or whatever. Yeah. It was the normal that they would yell, yeah, should right. it be, and basically want to kill me. When you guys started, did you uh, did you take lessons? Did you play? Did you just learn to play your instruments just by getting them? Uh, actually, well, basically by getting uh, somehow my, I had uh, a really sweet. I had this I called her the the last living Bohemian in Gr- in Greenwich Village. I had this very lovely and out there godmother yeah it was almost like a fairy godmother she convinced i don't know how she did she convinced my mom to get me a drum set oh so and my mom said yes like i can't believe no, it's really yeah. cool having a, a child with a drum kit in an apartment yeah like, you know, out in, I'm in, in an apartment <laughs> on so the upper exciting. west side with a drum set yeah and i was able to play it like whatever after school it's pretty yeah. crazy and you when you how'd you start playing guitar my mom and her friends bought me a guitar for my 12th birthday. They decided that I was going to be a guitar player. Uh-huh. And somehow, I, uh, my, I guess my mom hooked it up. She knew someone who knew a guitar teacher who happened to be Laurie Anderson's sister. Yeah. So I took a <laughs> couple guitars. That's New guitar. York, right? Yeah. I never, I didn't know. Mike, I told you that like maybe once you a know long, I'm a long time ago. You know I'm a Laurie Anderson fan. Uh, yeah, I love. Who isn't, yeah. but I'm just saying, like when I saw United States... No, I know, but this is Laura. I'm talking about like, Laurie Anderson's sister. Yeah, <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> guitar teacher. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, she but... taught me how to play. Um, what's the, my first song I ever learned on guitar was uh, "Mystery Dance" by Elvis. Oh, that's really? great. Yes, yeah. I want to learn. Friggin', it. That's a fucking hip guitar player. It's a great song. Well, I asked her whatever. to teach me that song. She's like, "What song do you want to learn?" So you learned the, the, the essential rock and roll thing, that the thing, the, the mystery dance. Yeah. You know, um, I want to tell you about tell the you mystery dance. Great song. Yeah, yeah. So. But 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 then so I only took a couple of lessons with her and then Adam Yauch gave me a couple of guitar lessons. He was like, "You should sh- this is how you do this and that." So he was a good guitar player, but, and as I don't well. think he ever had lessons. Uh huh. Right? Well, that's yeah. it. That's the sort of like the feeling about Yauch's absence in this book is that he was this almost mystical, all-knowing kind of dude who understood things innately and was there always for you guys to sort of show you and and keep you pushing you ahead into things. He seemed mm-hmm. to know things that no one else knew in a way. Well, I knew things at a time when I, I don't, we still to this day, we're mystified. Like, how did he know this? <laughs> because it's pretty, you don't have YouTube. You don't like, you yeah. have like, there were, there wasn't like he, in his bedroom, there was this stack of textbooks of like how right, to right. rewire a guitar amp. He just, like, he just knew. He was the kind of guy it. who would take things apart and put them back together. Um, yeah, well, I mean, well, he, no, he literally would take stuff apart and put it back together for fun. And right. like stuff would, that you would see in his room. Like he'd literally have, well, that's how he figured like, it what's out. What's going on there? He's like, Oh, I wanted to see, I, I just was curious. I took it apart and I'm just putting it back together. So the, the punk rock thing, what lasted a couple years for you guys? Like seriously, when you were playing punk I mean, before hip hop came in our entire lives. Really. Well, yeah, no, I know the, the spirit of it, sure, but actually being a punk band. Well, being a punk band, I think you get tired of it after a bit. Sure. Cause it's the like, hardcore is great in terms of like the access point. Yeah. Like, okay, wait, well, you just, here's the A part. Here's the B part. You know, a few chords. Yeah. Write a few stupid words. It's like, you get it together. So it's, it has a great, and also you're able to then book gigs and make your own flyers. It's all, you can do it all yourself. And also all your friends are doing something that's related to, so everybody's doing stuff and it's really exciting, but Making your own clothes. Yeah, well, yeah. that too. But musically it kind of runs its core. You, it's just limiting after a, a little bit. For us. Yeah. Right. For us. That's just how we felt about it. And that's, yeah. and that's not punk rock general. That's right. specific hardcore, hardcore punk yeah, rock. American hardcore, yeah. And, and we, you know, after a while, yeah, you, it, it's... You, we got sort of tired of it. We wanted to do different things, and we did try to play 
we can't sing. Right. I think that's a major <laughs> thing that held us back. That if any one of us could have, they're still could, holding you back, Adam, with that not singing stuff. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. We could have been contenders. We could have done something. <laughs> you did something. But I'm just saying, we actually wrote and recorded some songs where, like, Mike was singing, and it was like we suck. Yeah. And it's not a slight. I'm, I'm worse than Mike. Yauk's worse than me, and Yauk's worse than, like, we're all terrible. Right. And so, <laughs> it's and at the same time, as kids, we when rap was getting played on the right, right when rap was sort of starting to get, to come out of the Bronx and downtown, we loved listening to rap records. And that was something that we could kind of do. Mm-hmm. Right. True. And that was more inspiring. Yeah, but- Well, but, but I would also say rap, rap was more inspiring, but it also seemed more, at least to me, it seemed more radical at the time. Like, it just was more, there was no precedent to it in my world like there was nothing i what there's nothing that prepared me to hear something especially when when rap changed like when records like run dmc sucker mcs came out and things were kind of reduced down and more minimal and just a drum machine and rapping yeah that was so just completely different and radical to anything right. it I felt was, more punk than like yeah than punk chromags yeah. or whatever not to say i'm Definitely not saying anything yeah, negative wow. against the Chrome Eggs. Controversial please. podcast. Please. First we went in on Migos, now Chrome Eggs. <laughs> I'm not saying anything against the Chrome Eggs. Send an armored vehicle saying. for us, please, after this. <laughs> right. It's, it's, I just it's, don't want to get beat up. <laughs> please. Well, I think also, like, you know, when you talk to people like Watt, who we talked about earlier, the, the idea of punk initially, that it wasn't a sound. It was just the ability to do whatever the fuck you wanted and make your own thing. Right. I retract that. It sounded more punk than, say, rap music in 83 sounded more punk than the Minutemen. Right. I get it. Right. So, but it spoke to you in a way where you saw possibilities. You were like, this is like, it moved you and you were like, holy well, shit, and what we is lo- this? And we just loved it. Yeah. It was like this thing where I just loved it. I mean, and, and not unlike like when I, like when Adam was talking earlier, like being younger kids in a household when we heard the clash was like okay that's for me but then hip-hop was like exponential with that like as soon as we heard rap records and rap music it was like wait we can do that and then like what adam said when those those hip-hop artists started coming downtown from the bronx from harlem whatever and you saw everything kind of just unfolded in front of you again which is another thing about growing up in new york you go to this club negril where all of a sudden the very first downtown hip-hop nights had happened or then that moved to roxy because it got too big and you go to roxy it was like packed with like b-boys and b-girls from all over and like dudes were doing cocaine in the bathrooms and it was like this whole crazy and people were getting Mike, robbed again, in the bathrooms. I was not doing cocaine in the bathroom. I'm not implicating you. Okay. Um, but you're also but tapped we, in- No, but that's the point. We were kids yeah. that we didn't actually even know what was going on. I was just like, whoa, yeah. this, this is what's going on. We had this no idea. This was before hip hop. This is like when rap was just when, because of these places, break dancers were there, mm-hmm. graffiti writers were there, rappers were there, DJs were there, and they were like just sort of formed into this thing. Oh, quick side note. I want to go back. This goes I have back to Lori Anderson. I want to borrow that book over there. Which the, one? The Which Wrecking one? Crew. I'll okay. return it. Okay. Oh, you can. Okay. You've seen the documentary. I haven't. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. I'm going to read oh, the book. Oh, you should see the- I know. I, sh- I, know. Yeah. I haven't anyway. seen Titanic okay. either. So- but, uh, <laughs> I like that you put them I'm in the same saying. category. Oh, wait. My footnote, though, yes. is back to Lori Anderson's sister as guitar teacher. Teacher, yeah. This is another footnote of us growing up in New York at the time we did. It was somehow like we were exposed to all these, this like freak show that our- various parents had in their homes we yeah. were never like kept out of it it was always integrated into like what do you it. mean so, which, which part of the freak show it was just artists whatever and, it was all artists music like all these like super strongly opinioned yeah 
New these are people who yeah. had chosen to be in New York for a reason, and that's yeah. because they were going to have their say and 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 in what they made and in what they said every right. single day of their lives, right. and and that just seemed normal to us. Right, right. But you guys were tapped into the whole sort of like dance thing too, right? The club thing outside of the rap. Because I remember dance I remember going there once. But you guys had a real experience with no, that we place. Live, we lived there. <laughs> Because it was just so exciting to go to this club where there's all this different music happening. It was all mixed together and you loved it all. And then also, whatever, we're teenagers. Like, all of a sudden, you realize, like, there's girls dancing. Yeah. You might be able to actually... Well, we couldn't really dance with girls because that was like... we That just wouldn't really wouldn't really go down like that. Then that would be way too right. normal. Right. But you could actually just talk to girls was pretty exciting. And that and so what was the first? Because I know you made uh you, you made a punk record right that you guys sort of pressed yourself or that uh, or Dave Parsons helped you out with from the Rat Cage. Yeah, and then what was the was the Cookie Puss song the first sort of rap song ish? Yeah, that oh so yeah so that's uh we actually went and recorded some songs kind of more punk. Right. Well, like Adam said, we were kind of trying to sing a little bit, which yeah. was terrible, terrible idea. And yeah. everything we made kind of sucked. In this, we went into the studio. It was this friend of Yauk's parents that gave us, like, hooked us up with studio time. But the one thing we made that we liked, or two things, was Cookie Puss and this other song, Beastie Revolution, where both we were just, like, screwing around, kind of making fun of music that we actually loved. Yeah. Which is a weird New York kid <laughs> thing to do, maybe. Right. And, um... But yeah, Cookie Puss comes out and it's like kind of like, I don't know, I guess us trying to do, we loved like world famous Supreme Team Buffalo Gals. Yeah. So we, we wanted to f make our thing and, and all of a sudden like, at like this club, Danceteria, they started playing that. So we, that was like the most thrilling they thing started ever playing as a your teenager. Song. They started playing Cookie Puss, yeah. exactly mixed in with these other records. So like to have that as a teenager, then you're kind of like, well, things are really happening for us yeah. now. It, it was oh, kind of. And then we were on the Joe Franklin show. Joe Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that made me spill my water on myself. Um, yeah, that was, I was, but that was, that that was with She's On. That was a little bit later. No, I know, though. but I was just timing that one. Yeah, yeah. You, you, got, water. you got me on that one. Yeah, you got like, on that one, Joe. So, I like that Crazy Eddie plays an important part in the story somewhat. Right. Yeah. Like, because when you grow up on the East Coast, because when I go visit my grandmother and shit, I mean, they had those stations. That Crazy Eddie was everywhere, and then there was like those two stations that only ran like the Bowery Boys and the Laurel and Hardy movies. Like, I can't remember, like Channel Eleven or that something. That was so good. Yeah, yeah. No. Right. And 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 Little Rascals. Right. Little Rascals. Exactly. But all day long. They're not showing that anymore. No, man. They're not showing Little Rascals what? and Bowery Boys. Wait till you see that new movie with the, the Laurel and Hardy movie. I know, tomorrow. Oh, I'm supposed to go. Yeah, are you good? but you're not going to be here. I can't go tomorrow. Oh, it's so good, it's you guys. Tomorrow. It's yeah, so it's good. Tomorrow. I was right. gonna, I, was I didn't see. RSVP. Did you, I did because I gone. can't go. It's so good. I know. Okay, all right. Have you seen I'm it already? Going. Yeah, I saw a screener because I interviewed Coogan. Mm -hmm. It was great. It's really touching. Well, it, it really I don't know, though, but John Riley, he's you know he's he's in Laurel and Hardy, but he's also in- Holmes and Watson. <laughs> yeah, Holmes and Watson. Two, two historical couplings. No, he, he's great as, as Hardy. It's like, it's a He's kind of one of my heroes. It's, it's really a stunning movie. Yeah, but so let's, shout let's, out to John C. Riley for that. Right. Let's try to like uh, do some history here. Okay. So what, what- I thought that's all we've been doing. It is kind of, okay. but isn't that what you've been doing? Yeah, I know. We're stuck in the past. Are you tired? 
Are you are tired you of it? Are you tired? No. <laughs> you know, you should get a dog. I feel all right. I got <laughs> cats. Okay. I got three cats. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need a dog. Okay. Three. You went with a third one? I have a third after cat. The t- after the two? Yeah, I had two, and then I found one. He found me, showed up, and okay. I took him uh, in. I had no the, choice. How did the other cats feel about that? It was rough because they're old, and this guy's driving them nuts. They were in their retirement, enjoying their later years. Now they got this fucking lunatic box. Where, uh, where's the pan? Where do you keep the pan? In the house? Outside what, the, the kitty box? Yeah, the cat There's box. There's three of them. Now yeah. I got two. I got. Do they each have their own. Well, you got to be. It's a lot of shit, man. It's all you know. Cats they run the house. I did. I went through <sighs> a thing this morning. I can't deal with it. I got the house clean, and they get the litter all over everything. There's nothing yeah, I can not fucking cool. do about. It. No. There's a lot of things that you aren't need, cool yeah. about cats. But yeah. you have them. Had. Uh huh. What happened? You let it outside. I. I can't. I. I can't, you can't go into I can't it. Go back there. <laughs> I, can't. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. That's psychologically. Let's just say yeah. they're dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you got to keep them inside out here. Yeah. All right. Shoot. So, All right, anyway, sorry. Back um, to history. Yeah. We, no, we but, went to feline history, but... But so after Cookie Puss, then, like, you started, like, what's sort of fascinating to me, even though there there seems to be, you know, no shortage of, of resentment and bad blood there, is that I really had no idea that you guys sort of, in a sense found rick rubin or you were brought into him and that he was sort of integral in in helping you define who you were at the time how did that happen well i mean that was well, again that that goes back to cookie puss we, we right. made cookie puss and we wanted we somehow this we had this idea like okay we we couldn't play that replicate that song live because it's right. a f- crank phone call and whatever yeah. so but we love we, there are all these rap songs we've memorized every word to so we'll just start doing that we needed a dj so this friend of ours like here i'll take you over to the the this dorm room this guy <laughs> yeah, i know right he's got all the equipment yeah and supposedly he had a, a bubble machine although we never saw it with our naked a eyes bubble machine the bubble machine but right. he did in his dorm his little teeny nyu, At NYU dorm yeah. room he had a full pa with all dj equipment and and it was like that i guess he was the first person we knew with a drum machine mm-hmm. too so it was like he, you know he was the kid that had all the equipment, so it was like you're hired. Right, you got you got all the shit. You're he was hired. just some weird kid at a dorm, sort of a stoner kid who had all this shit. Definitely not a stoner kid, but he was definitely he was very strange. He's a, like just a couple years older, but he just I don't know. He just was very intense and very like um, ambitious. Right, mm-hmm. and and you wouldn't put it like that when you're a kid because you don't yeah. understand what that means. But he was just making it happen. Right, yeah. and he had all the equipment, well, so you hired parents. Him. Like were somehow, yeah, his parents were like you're. Little Ricky, you want drum machine? Here's budget. You're right, and he, he, you want a PA? Fine, and and somehow also in the dorm, like it was great. Like this PA was fucking loud, and it was in his dorm room. Like, wouldn't you get? Like, I feel like now, wouldn't you get kicked out of a dorm for having that? But you anyway. get in some kind of trouble, maybe. Yeah, but he was a rap fan and a hard rock fan. Yeah, well, he came yeah. from like he, unlike us, like he came from what? Well, so he came from like this Long Island heavy metal. Thing yeah. that we rebelled against, right. and then, but then he got into hardcore, and then he got into rap. So we kind of had that shared, and then he started playing like ACDC and stuff, and Zeppelin and all this stuff. Us, so we were like, oh, actually, you know, Not this bad. is actually kind of cool. <laughs> well, the interesting thing at that time was that, at least for me personally, I never really thought about production. Yeah, um, that like mm-hmm. the first record I ever made was with my band, The Young and the Useless. 
and I, it's great. I a love hardcore it. band. Yeah, hardcore band. But it, I mean, it's so bad yeah. that at one song, the drummer just stops. <laughs> and there's just like, we just keep playing. And then he starts kind of back playing again. And then at some point, we finish the song. It's like, we weren't thinking about production, right. certainly. Yeah. Wasn't that part as of As well it? as like skill yeah. level or any of that stuff. Yeah. And then Rick was a producer. Like, yeah. I don't know. He just decided yeah. at a young age, I'm a record producer, which was inspiring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Rick, Rick had this thing with me. He's like, no, no, Mikey, like you're going to sound like you're working hard. Like right. don't, don't try to make it sound like you're smooth because you're not. Yeah. Like he had that identity and that sense of being a producer that like at Adam's like, that was way, that was beyond our right. grasp. And then it was funny after he, he went to see the, the show that we did here in LA and he said something kind of interesting. We were Recently? texting. Yeah. We were texting back and forth. You guys and, are okay now? Yeah, well, I mean, look, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of fucked up shit that happened, but we were all we were all really young and all handled stuff really, really badly uh-huh. when you get down to it. And I think we can all look at it, but I think we're we're all we're able to be okay because we all came out of it all right. Okay, you know, it's not like we're starving. It, we it would be a different story if we were like never got paid for our license ill and we we're just you know working at the car wash. Right. I don't think we'd. And, and that's still like I don't that. Think we'd that's be one quite of the, so forgiving. the cliffhangers in the book that kind of uh, like I was, it made me angry. Was it, Did you ever get restitution? No, but I think we got free. We got, it was more than that. We got, we got freedom. We got, we were allowed to be who we wanted to be. And okay. anyway, that was, and that's the text that he said. He was like, you know what? And he's like, this weird way. Uh-huh. Everybody, everybody got what they wanted. That doesn't mean that's not at the expense of somebody else, right? But, but he's like, look, I got to produce lots of different artists, which is what I always wanted. You yeah. guys got to. I mean, this is his words. I wouldn't call this up, but he's like, you got to go on and become an iconic group and do exactly what you wanted. <laughs> and he's like, and Russell got a check, and right. that's all Russell wanted. Right. So. All right. Well, you seem to be handling it better. Well, than no, Mike. Than... Mike. See, Mike. <laughs> Mike is a jerk, right? And everybody knows it. But he is much most more people. For... I don't know everyone. I there are a couple of people I fooled. But he is much more forgiving than I am. Right. I, you know, I it, ultimately I'm fine. Yeah. I'm happy. We're happy. Yeah. We're all doing things yeah. in the world. Right. We're healthy. Yeah. Okay. No got problem. it. No <laughs> problems. I got it. But uh, so, can we just talk for a minute? Run DMC changed your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of like, you know. Uh, In a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, it, when did you first meet them and how did that happen? Um, we met them through Rick through Russell. Rick Rubin and made a record called It's Yours. He meets uh, Russell Simmons, yeah. who had heard It's Yours and, and Russell's DJ Run from Run DMC's brother and yeah. also the manager of Run DMC, meets Rick at danceteria where we go all the time and like can't believe okay wait you made it's yours you're this like white guy with long hair like this is really weird yeah somebody outside of my you know and rap at that time was such a small universe it was like there's only one there was like two producers whatever so then they started talking and they were like okay we're gonna work together and then Rick told Russell about us, about Beastie Boys like here I got these like I got these these white guys but they (laughs) love the rap anyway um so that <laughs> so then uh then russell introduced us i mean obviously we are already huge huge run dmc fans right i mean sucker mcs i don't that would that was 80 83 84 three, yeah. so that was before your new york yeah. arc but it was like that was one of those records like the same way after it public enemy um, bring the noise or like there's there's certain songs that like summertime in new york that would just take over you yeah. hear out of every Every car driving by, every boombox, every open window, 
you would hear that it's song. It's like when Sorry dropped, Justin Bieber's Sorry. Yeah. It was like that moment. <laughs> I'd like to say Despacio more. Oof. Like you heard it everywhere. That. That's next level, but yeah. that's international. You heard it everywhere. It yeah. was just everywhere. Yeah. Not really everywhere, but kind of everywhere. Yeah, well, within yeah. New York, it was yeah. Yeah. within the island of Manhattan. Yeah. It's everywhere, and it's really dense. You're like, you can walk down one block, and then 30 seconds later on the next block, you're hearing another part of the same. Right. song from a different radio station or different whatever so, so that was we were we and it was just completely revolutionary we loved it and so then when all of a sudden we meet run dmc it was really was meeting our heroes right they really were like whoa these these guys these guys are doing it they know what they're doing yeah and then you guys you open for them and you and now you're on the same label as them that all happened well not well, same yeah. label same management yeah um, R- Russell Simmons is run from Run DMC's brother. brother. Yeah. And so he managed Run DMC, Russell managed Run DMC, and then he managed us. Yeah. And so he ended up, we ended up opening for Run DMC on a tour with us, Timex Social Club, LL Cool J, and the group Houdini and Run DMC. And we mm-hmm. all spent a magical summer together. Yeah. That was your first tour? That was not our first tour, but it was our first time playing shows with them. Yeah, but um, we were on an but, es- but a tour with an esteemed artist before that, Madonna. Oh, the Madonna tour that yeah, they wrote about that. That was a year before that. Yeah, but anyway, just being on tour with Run DMC was it was for us it was kind of amazing. It was like three of them, three of us. They were a little bit older, and they were definitely way cooler than us. Yeah, mm-hmm. and just and way better than us, like as a rap group. And so it was just like education every night and just the way they commanded the stage, how they worked their set list, how they're like, we learned so much from them. Yeah. And as as just just people hanging out in the summertime, like we just can't thank them enough. Yeah, no, I mean, it literally was the blue, like they gave us the blueprint of, okay, this is how you do it. And especially, I mean, Jam Master J, RIP, he, he, J had this wave, like he really saw how they were going to present themselves, yeah. wh- how the show was going to look. None of that stuff had ever, that, none of that stuff was even on the table to us. None, none, of, it, none of it had occurred to us. To be a us. showman, how to put on a show and how to arrange your stuff. Well, to- I mean, like, so the year before that, the summer before that, we had opened for Madonna on tour. Yeah. And so that was like next level show. That was like real showbiz. Yeah. That was like showbiz, yeah. showbiz, which was awesome. But like that's, we couldn't, There, it would be crazy to think that we could do that. How were you right. received on that tour? Oh, they fucking hated us. Yeah. It was awesome. Boo- literally booed <laughs> off the stage night after night. Well, we didn't, well, booed as we were leaving. Well, we didn't like, get off the stage because we would stay on the stage despite the booing. Yeah. yeah. It was just a 10 but- minute maybe eight minute boo fest it was yeah pretty great. <laughs> it was all little girls yeah. too so it was yeah. like high pitched boos well it was it was young you know like eight to eleven year old girls yeah. and their parents well their parents and remember the parents they're young they can't go to the show right. themselves where the parents bring them and it's like yeah it's like you said it's all young so you girls guys with just, the Madonna bracelets and yeah, like the, right, the, the mesh everything yeah and um and yeah, you're just Madonna up there being makeup. The, the raw beastie boys and yeah like, we were basically the making is? them cry and um yeah that they didn't think that was funny or ironic no, or yeah. like cool in a New York City kind of way at all. So that they just but wanted you those saw assholes to get off stage, right? But you saw real show business from Madonna. We I'm, did, yeah. but there was nothing we could really take away from sure. it because we, we, <laughs> right. we're not capable of that. Like, right? We're not yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah. Studio we musicians, we can't sing, and, dance, and you know, look. But beautiful still, just to like be on show. a real stage, like we had been on stage at CBGB's, right. you know, yeah. like, just punk clubs or whatever. Yeah. And and now we're at Radio City Music Hall. Which was definitely a big lesson because it's a huge stage and we got winded really quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> not pace our, We did not yeah. pace ourselves well. 
But no, we look like we'd never, I barely ever saw a show like that, let alone mm-hmm. be on the side of the stage watching it all the time. So yeah. we learned just a lot from Madonna. But from Run DMC was like something more that we could do. Right. A template. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, also just socially, we got. Oh, yeah, Madonna, Madonna didn't hang out like, with us. Yeah, yeah, it's not like you're to hang out with Madonna. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, we but, wanted to, but she, you know. You guys yeah. aren't pals she, now. She was she was smarter than that. She yeah. had stuff to do. But sure. you know, Run DMC were like, they took us in and we'd hang out every this, day. She this, wasn't looking to drink 40s with us right. and, and like watch basketball <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah. that not to say that she doesn't drink 40s and watch basketball games. Not with she, you. Might. She does. Yeah. But there's that nice story you tell about, uh, about Run DMC coming up with that first line. For the first record, you know that you know, he comes running around the corner. I don't remember which one. Oh yeah, yeah. for our song, Paul Revere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a story in the book, yeah. which is available in the marketplace. <laughs> oh, we'll, I'll sell the book for you. Um, as told by yeah Snoop Doggy Dog on the audio book, Mike. I'm working hard right now. You yeah, see yeah. really just you checking know, all you the audio book. Are you serious? Yeah, dude. You, we yeah. we have an audio book for our book. Star studded. John C. Riley. John C. Riley. Incredible get, reading. John C. Riley, guest reader. Snoop Dogg, guest reader. Rachel Maddow. Bette Midler. Tim Maya, Meadows. Maya Rudolph. Uh, Goes on and uh, on. Talib Kweli. Chuck D. L. O. Cool J. Jarvis Cocker. Jarvis Cocker. I'm just repeating words, names yeah. that Mike says. <laughs> Isn't that the, but Our audiobook is. I mean, it crushes the competition at Christmas time, Mike. Yeah, but it that's true. It really in, does. In terms of quality, it kicks yeah. ass. How does Mike? that make you feel? Oh, Bobby Carnavale, great. Bobby Carnavale. Yeah, that these people like they they have this respect. Steve Buscemi, sorry, Steve oh, Buscemi. Yeah, they love you. All these people, you had such a profound influence on everybody. You have such amazing uh, eclectic fans. How does that make you feel? Great. It. Yeah, it's confusing. I would just assume that they had not absolutely nothing else to do that day. No, just no, it no. Was... Yeah, the, it's so that's Adam, the one thing about these are busy, the... you know, accolade filled. No, it's weird. It, it's weird. If if Steve Buscemi called you and was like, "I want you to be in my movie for a day," you'd be like, "Of course." Yeah, but, but we did a video years right. ago that Yauk directed. It was the last video. Um, well, it wasn't the last video. It was one of our second to last video in this long video, and a lot of people are in it, and Steve Buscemi's in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it is Buscemi, not Buscemi. Uh huh. I always said Buscemi, but he's yeah, I always made the same mistake. Um, hmm. And I'd asked him; he was there. He was in, in our video, and I was like, "Why, why are you here?" Yeah, and he was like, "Of course I'm here." Yeah, Yao wrote to me and asked me to be in it. And of, of course, the New Yorker. And it doesn't make sense. Like yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> it's awesome, but I, right, you had a profound well, effect awesome. on so many but lives. I mean, I, I'm working on a show right now with Allison Brie, and she said she went to see you on the Hello Nasty tour at the Forum. Yeah, and she was a teenager, happen. and she fainted. She fainted. Allison Brie fainted at so your show. So she's blaming us for her. No, I mean, is there some like, kind of responsibility like, here? No, it's like Beatlemania. You know, you had an, well, no, you I mean, had an effect. I mean, yeah. Put on a good show. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, <laughs> you can go see other bands. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, Belle Biv DeVoe, they would have that effect on people sometimes. Right. Okay. But you know what I'm saying. So but, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, we're going to be here all day. Yeah. So you make the first. Let's get to the can first record. Can we order record. lunch if we are sure, here we all could. day? Yeah, I can, oh my I god! Can, I had soup dumplings last night. Where at? At a new place. Yeah. Where? Where? Yeah. Where? You own name in where? Pasadena Lake. You it's called na- Dan Modern or some weird name. Great. It, I, it's the dude from Luscious Dumpling. I think got his own spot on Lake Avenue. I also like you have a cookbook in your book. Roy Choi. Yeah. Roy Choi's own. Yeah. yeah. Roy, Roy Choi. I, I, I had a nowhere. Here's a little reprieve. Here's some recipes. 
they're enjoy. Good. And they're good. Yeah, they right. look good. Well, we yeah. know, and we've mentioned food a lot in our yeah. songs. We yeah. also spent a lot of our time recording together, thinking about and ordering food. Yeah. That's the thing that Anything. I don't know if people know about bands, that the the thing they do more than anything else, more than concerts or recording or whatever, is eating together. Or sure. ordering food. <laughs> yeah. Or talking about where to order food. That's <laughs> yeah. the yeah. that's the number one thing in a band. <laughs> that's it? <laughs> so after the first record, like I liked how like, there's a couple things in the book that you do where you both comment on each other's essays in the side notes, which I think is funny. That was good. But also the way that, you know, because I even talking to my, my girlfriend and, you know, who, who I said loves uh, your wife, who was a uh, uh, bikini kill, mm-hmm. that how you kind of had to reconcile with this sort of thing you unleashed with License to Ill, that, you know, that you were doing this music, you were sort of elevated characters, you had a, a way of doing it that, you know, and one day you're looking out at, you know, you know 20,000 bros who are not of necessarily your ilk. And then how you look back on that and kind of, I think you're contrite about it, but you're also sort of, you own it. But you know that was something you had to think about. Like, what? how does this look now? Who were we then? And what does it mean to women? And, and you know, because you actually have a feminist defense or two of your work in the book. There are other essays by other people in the book. Now, when you first started to realize that, was it just, were you angry about it? That you had these fans that were alien to you? Because I hear that from a lot of bands. That how did we attract these guys? Um, no, you can't be mad at people coming. Right. These are paying customers. These I people get it. came, they bought our record, they bought our yeah. c- tickets to come see us play. Like I'm not mad at them. That's right. the, they, we made we made this music that you know, uh if you're a ska band and a bunch of people that love ska music come to your concert, like that makes sense. Sure. So if we make Fight the Right to Party and a and a lot of party bros put money down to see you play, sure. that makes sense. Yeah. Right. So I'm not mad at them. Yeah. It yeah, but makes you question what you're doing. Is yeah. this is it, it's all it's a reflection. It's a right. mirror. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. so is that is that what we're doing here? Yeah. This is not what we should no. The, I thought oh wait, this was a joke, you guys, and now it's not. It's, it's not, not a way of life. No, it's not. It's not funny. <laughs> right. And and there is a there's a story in the book that's called "Become What You Hate," and um, we basically became these jokes that we made. You and you had happened. a persona, and you and now you were like, "Am I that guy or am I not that?" Yeah, but right. we. Well, I was we that crea- guy, right? 100%. Well, we create. Well, we created it, and it was really exciting when yeah. you do create it, and it's working, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, thousands of people are paying to see you yeah. be that it's there's a point in that arc where it's really really exciting but then there's this thing of like then you wake up and it's your job and it's also us coming being like these new york punk rock kids that love rap music it was like this is not what we we didn't sign we didn't sign on in our we didn't see it that far down we didn't see right. the timeline that far yeah. it wasn't like okay we're going to do this and then we're going to become this and then it was just we're never good at making plans. It was just like, okay, this no, is funny right. to us, haha. Then we're doing that. Oh, whoa, this is actually working. This is exciting. And then it's like, wait, you mean we have to be these people? And and not only be these people, play to this audience every Forever. night. How, how do we how do we make this stop? But also, if you're if you're a comedian and you're just making racist jokes, right? If you're just making sexist jokes and you're like, no, 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 it's it's ironic. I, right. I, I'm not that, but these jokes are. You, right. Don't you get it? Yeah. Like you're going to get a bunch of people that don't get it. And they but put, you are that. Uh-huh. If you make a bunch of sexist jokes and you stand behind them, then you are the sexist 
it in the joke. Yeah. So the, so your reaction to that was Paul's boutique. Mm, well, I think getting there. I don't think it was even reactions like that was that was like the next. But right, but that was a way to elevate. That was the next evolutionary step because then with Paul's boutique, like we, I mean, that was actually really the falling out with. Um, really more Russell and Rick like Rick could kind of bounce out like he wanted to do something totally different and produce Slayer records yeah. and whatever Russell was like the the business person wanted money he's like well you guys gotta make give me Fight Fair at the party you gotta go back into part two you gotta be go that back guy. into school be those guys you, you don't wanna be those guys and keep being yeah, that yeah, yeah. and you're gonna get paid so just go and do it and we're like I think he he misjudged us thoroughly because we came from this whole other by by being like these weird punk rock kids we were just like as soon as he said that it was like fuck you yeah we're not gonna just right do this and then it, we're not gonna take it no <laughs> no not gonna take it and with paul's boutique, we're not gonna take it the, anymore you jumped record labels you moved out here right i want to see if you could do that once <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one that thing <laughs> i don't think i could do it even once you, yeah you can we have one uh, there's one of these um grippy muscle things oh yeah. my god it's a hard one Man, I'm. I gotta. I gotta no, that's a hard it. one, though. I have it's to a do hard an one. exercise. Once. It's a hard one. So, is it a stress reliever, though? What does it get done? Make, stressing me that out. That just sounded like something you would sample, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yes, Paul's boutique was more a reaction of just everything that happened with Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons and the fallout and being sick of all of that, wanting to get out of New York, friends around in New York. Things were just getting fucking weird. So we yeah, it's that to get weird that moment of like, wait, who's our friend? Who's not our friend? We can't really trust anybody in New York anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Rick, because, like yeah. Russell had given like Small. friends of ours jobs and yeah. it's like, wait, we, we need to get as literally, you know, that that's kind of like the amazing thing with LA. Like you can go across the country, get as far as you can within this country from yeah. New York and be in this completely other world. Yeah. Yeah. And then start meet the make. Dust Brothers. Yeah. Also, you know Hollywood is calling me, Mike. I mean, yeah. let's well, let's be real about what's going on. That's true. Well, you, they 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 really wanted your talent. Yeah. Um, and you made a masterpiece. Uh, I, that's what I say. You mean lost? Yeah. You mean the, lost the angels, motion picture yeah, Lost acting. Angels? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. you're was great in that. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah. It's a I'd say forgotten yeah. masterpiece. <laughs> But, but don't I'm you think, trying to forget it, but <laughs> it keeps coming up. Don't you think Paul's boutique sort of changed the game for everybody? I mean, wait, I mean, I know I don't want you to be. Yeah, um, but we didn't know. We, I mean, we not we, at the time. No. Yeah, I mean, at the time it was a it was a commercial flop. How I the mean, fuck is that possible? I listened to it when it came out over and over again. Uh, it doesn't have the, the hooks aren't there. Is I mean, that let's what just it was? be honest. The yeah, hooks aren't really no, there. Yeah, there was no. I mean, I, I think <laughs> like now we're able to. But talk it's almost about like it, a it psychedelic like, rap record. It's like fucking, yeah, but yeah, but who's but, buying but that? Everybody I wanted. Did. Everybody wanted. They wanted to hear what was going to come next After for the like, fight with the party. They wanted the hits. Yeah, right. They want so and there's nothing. You look at it, it's pretty simple, pretty basic. There's nothing on Paul's boutique for the, for that person. I know, but you also had trouble with the label, right? They kind of buried it. Yeah, they they decided they yeah. decided to sort of focus on other esteemed artists like Donny Osmond. That is fucking crazy. Out of all the people in the world. Well, well, that you big name in the game. What? 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 what he year had was that, that one How song? Was that? How and he was had that? a TV show. But yeah, but yeah, this Donnie is... Marie, big. No, 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 no. He's got more than I mean. No, Donnie, uh, Donnie Osmond has probably played Las Vegas like a hundred times more than maybe three hundred times more than we ever have. We've played Vegas three times, right? So I'm saying he's probably paid played three hundred thirty times. Wow, I would imagine that's a lot of times. It's a big, um, big name. But in the no, game. no, no. What's the, okay? So they got one bad apple. 
Is yeah. that Donnie so- Solo? Spoils, That's Donnie Solo. Or is that the Osmonds? I think it's the Osmond Brothers. Okay. I can't name a single I'm a little bit country Osmond, rock and roll. Yeah, it wasn't really a song. song. It was just like a right. TV shit. That's Donnie like, and Marie, though. No, name it was another a song. song. Yeah, it was a song. Name another song. I don't know. Yeah. I they got nothing. So after Paul's yeah, routine, how did Osmonds have such a big career off nothing? I feel confident in having a beef with Donnie Osmond at this point. I think you're all right. I'd like to move away from Cro Mags and Migos. Yeah, and get center on the open the door to Donnie. Okay. Yeah. After Paul's boutique. You were disappointed, angry, what? Lethargic, despondent, yeah. despairing? Kind of good. I don't know. We we're, were actually kind of feeling good, really. Yeah. We were really good, but we were bummed out. I mean, we, you know, you go to the when you go to like the record company president dude's office, and yeah. you're you know in the fancy office where the assistant shows you in, and you're like, hey, we we put all this work into making this record, and and we were excited about it because we thought like we we loved De La Soul, we loved Public Enemy. We were like, okay, this is like our place in yeah. in, in in this, and we you put all we, in. and we, we went felt all like in. we went for it. Like we yeah. we sampled everything we could possibly think of and just layered sample after sample. Like we like okay, this is gonna be great. And then they're just like, oh, go make a next time, go make another record. Right. You know, How long did it take you to do Paul's? Like two years, probably. Not really, it was a year. Well, it was just they, that one year. It, was well, it came out eighty. No, it came out eighty nine. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So it was like and a year and a half. License ill came out eighty six. Yeah. Then we were on tour for a year and a half. So we started in like early eighty eight, and it came mm. out in eighty nine. It was like a year. Yeah, I guess a year. Why did it seem so much longer though? I don't know. Is that about what right? happens that when you? I guess that's what happens when you're nineteen, twenty years old. Like you a year just, seems like so forever. Much pot. Yeah. Um. We, it was actually even even though that that we did we didn't tour we didn't play any shows because yeah. that was a whole other thing that we got this new manager that was um he was Kenny Rogers manager yeah no right? wait no. yeah no share no no that would HK. be really big yeah but they were there was like Prince? heart no it was mm. that I wasn't even dude. you're giving like a listing no, it was dude. like heart and like the Eagles or something those are pretty big I'm mean, sure big names in the game <laughs> yeah. Eagles is pretty big yeah. no, I'm but, telling but at that point you, it was I'm Don Henley you. the Eagles hadn't reunited yet I'm telling you there was some like fucking Kenny Rogers motherfucker I'm telling you Michael Bolton maybe ooh massive <laughs> At any rate, <laughs> we played like a few shows and they were terrible at these like discos, yeah. but we did have fun. My man, Rich. <laughs> it was so bad that it was funny. It was really bad. But then we're in like LA and we're like these New York dudes and like we're hanging out and you go to like the source yeah, for yeah. breakfast, sure. yeah. Hugo's and shit. Like yeah. we're hanging out, smoking pot. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Driving a car. Living in a house kind of awesome. But we also made every mistake, you know, it's, it's but you, you're, there are happy mistakes. Like yeah. we, we spent all this money on these fancy studios making the record and right. we like hired these fancy managers who didn't understand what we were doing at all. It was the worst thing we could have done. Yeah. But, you know, that's, yeah, that's what happened. That's LA. Moved to LA. Yeah, exactly. It's totally Hollywood. textbook LA. And then, yeah, and then I guess, but then somehow we were lucky enough to realize, like, wait, all right, so now, and that was also another part of sort of our freedom and being able to do what the fuck we wanted was yeah. that then we were <laughs> we basically, in terms of the record company, we had become a bag of dog shit. But, you know, they do not want to talk, touch this bag of but you still you stayed no. with them right <laughs> no i don't want to no and i've had dogs too right yeah and so they don't they want to keep it but keep us at arm's distance so like nobody wants to touch it and, and it's and like they, a ziplock bag of dog shit yeah yeah and so but, the, but but 
so then they're like, well, just go make another record. So it's like, here, so here we are, we're going to make another record and nobody from the record company wants to talk to us at all. So we have this wide open freedom. So we're like, all right, we'll, we'll we start, we started like actually practicing at Adam's house. Then his neighbors were not so uh, excited about that. Yeah. And then, then we moved into a, like a Hollywood rehearsal studio again very cliche what happens in la and then we we're like, like hey, we should get our own or somewhere yeah exactly it was cold, cold. Yeah. it was cold that place that place exactly yeah, still there. there yeah and then, then we were like all right we need to get this kind of sucks to like go smoke pot set up your stuff and then it's second pack you it kind of think you're doing something halfway decent then you got to pack it back up so then we we're like we got to find our own studio and somehow through a friend I'd never even been to Atwater. Like I was living in sure. Silver Lake though, not just over the bridge. At this the is time. in the eighties, late eighties. Yeah. yeah, and so then this or beginning of not yeah, late eighties, yeah. beginning of nineties, and this friend's like, oh, there's this place. It's like an old ballroom or something. The studio in Atwater. You got to check it out. It's like really, really sleepy. There. There's nothing much happening, and we're like, okay, perfect. And so, he built and, the studio, and that yeah. became uh, what was it called? G G Sun. Yeah. So, but that really became our like we needed we needed that we needed to have like this headquarters, this place where we could go every day and just listen to records, play music, have all our friends, and just start it's a clubhouse and, and a studio. It really was a clubhouse, and you had a skate ramp in there and a basketball court yep. and everything. You yeah. know what? I should have moved closer there. When, where I were you? Moved. You and Yauk should have. We should have just moved out. Why? Where were you? If you'd bought houses then, I know. Like in Silver, you would be a. Oh, I know. You'd be like David Geffen right now. Where were you living? Hollywood? Maybe not like David Geffen, but you. I was in <laughs> Laurel Canyon. It was nice. I'm not saying it was. I I I'd love the yeah, house. Yeah, it was that nice where you guys were in Laurel Canyon. And all that shit. But I'm just saying, it's a drag. Like having to sober up and like drive home right. at four yeah. in the morning. <laughs> but every, that's where every like, night it seemed like at that point, like there was a lot, there was a crew that sort of developed around that space, right? Like Spike Jones and Jason Lee and those cats, and people started hanging around. And Christian Hosoy, we had a lot of people coming in yeah. and out of that place. I love Q, it. Like Q Tip, when and it was also this thing because it was like this certain time in rap music too, where everybody from New York would have to be in LA right. to like whatever do soul tri- do some promotional meetings and whatnot thing meetings yeah. for sure meetings yeah. and then they'd come by this you know they'd come by the studio and then we had because we had this place where you could smoke pot and play basketball and make a mixtape or yeah do whatever so yeah it was i don't and it's interesting because it's not like we ever could have planned it we were not i'm still to this day are not good at planning but we it this thing yeah. evolved or took place where exactly it was this place where a lot of stuff could get made because it was where all these different people could hang out. And you did three records there? You did Check Your Head and Ill Communication? And Check Your yeah, Head and Ill Communication. And, and, and some of Hell and Nasty there yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and other things, right? We did other records yeah, we there. Did videos. Other did other tons things. of videos. I did DFL there. We did yeah. tons of other other things and produced other... I don't know what the... I did a whole... Mike started yeah. the Grand magazine Royal, there. Grand Royal Magazine. Oh, yeah, Grand Royal. And the, the label. And the record label. And tons everything. of bands would come in and play and... You were actually producing stuff in that space for I other think bands. So, right? Yeah. And you no, did, Someone, you someone cl- brought up the song that I did with MC Milk the other day. You don't even remember that. Uh, yeah. No, well, I, now you mention it, yeah. I remember, but I had completely forgotten about I it. I had up completely until forgot moment. about it, too. And you did the clothing line for a while? Yeah, X-Large was kind of like that was a junk. Yeah, you guys that are was like in the uh, neighborhood. You know, full empire builders, entrepreneurs. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, but we, unfortunately, we didn't have the Maybox <laughs> to prove it or whatever. Whatever you're supposed to have as an entrepreneur, private uh, jet. What know. happened what to that trappings? space? What's in that space now? Um, oh, Adam was recently- <laughs> <laughs> there they're doing things they're just doing things it's still a space it's still a space there's there's the actual i wish i'm sorry 
to whoever it, this is. I've forgotten your name, but he's yeah. the actual little small room where we did all the mixing of all of the songs. I had the tape decks yeah. where we did all the mixing. Someone actually still has that and uses it to mix records and, or songs or commercials right. or something. So that actual room is still in use as a musical space. Well, actually, an space. interesting note, Diplo ha- was had the studio for a while, but then he became too big time. And he yeah. So it's still a studio. You guys built so the studio. Some of it is. Yeah. And the rest well, and is like businesses. There's yeah. like weird. Fun fact, Eli what? Bonners, who was my partner, one of my partners in X-Large, yeah. he owns the building now or has for a while. And like at some point you guys decided to, you know, just play your instruments for real. And I, I thought that was, a, I love those, that record, those records where you guys just play. And so like, yeah, cause you talk about in the book that there was this moment you had where you're like, I'm a musician. I, I can accept that. Yeah. But it <laughs> took a while. not that long ago. That but, no, no, I know, but it's but an it important took a while. moment. Yeah. It, no, it is. I agree. But it took, it took a while. Like, you know, like check your head. We weren't there. We couldn't say that. Like we, we, we were really excited to play our instruments yeah. and we were excited to make music that we, that was inspired by all these different records that we'd gotten to know from actually from sampling and yeah. all this music that we love but yeah we he just decided you could contact. do it and it, it, like I, I listened to that this morning the one the the later record where it's just, oh the mix up oh yeah yeah it's great yeah it was great for you guys that? did you have fun doing that that one yeah that was fun mix up was fun we had we kind of yeah it was I had more fun tight... making it than the record is than I like the record yeah well, I like how there's you're honest. There's a couple about, moments on There's it, a couple though. moments I really like on back that. And pee. There's a couple little breaks, yeah. a couple little things where we there's actually, a, like, you know, we talk, we would talk about how we'd want to make something to sound like this, and we usually wouldn't make get there, and sometimes mix up a couple- Couple, l- couple nuggets. Couple bars. Yeah, you guys got a couple, two songs on that record. There's a-, there's a <laughs> but there's, I, I don't even know. Are there any songs? I don't know, but there's some moments for sure. No, it's, not, it's nice to have on. You know, it's a nice walk, to have on record. It is, but uh, I thought it was very funny. The amount of time you put into that, the hot sauce committee part two and making up these samples and sort of meticulously recapturing sounds to make a bunch of fake samples in order to sort of baffle and confuse record nerds. And the fact that you put all that effort into it and, and as you wrote in the book that it didn't really register yeah. to the people. Nobody right? cared. Nobody <laughs> cared. But that's why I feel like good about that in, in the sense that just, yeah, that's our story, but it's also, it's probably your story <laughs> as a comedian at but some it was point. So, but it's the, any filmmaker's sure. it's like, it, Anybody who does anything creative, you, there's these things that you just go down the, the, the down the hole and just spend all expend all this effort, and you're totally consumed by doing this thing. And you're like, oh, this is going to be the best thing ever, and nobody ever. But I like that cares. it was almost like it was a comedy bit. It was a you know you did it so perfectly that it got, it got by, like you know nobody picked up on it. Uh, well, I I lo- yes, yeah. I think so. Yeah, that was the idea going in. Yeah, and and for me, I like it because. We had we'd made we'd been a band for so long, and at that point, then we had actually kind of figured out how to play our instruments. Yeah, kind of figured out how to produce records. Yeah. kind of figured out how to pro- like make these things that we I, we never would have thought we could do that. Mm-hmm. And sure. we could, and we could kind of knew what we were doing, which yeah. is kind of cool. It yeah. doesn't mean you're good or bad at it; it's just we kind of knew how to do it. Yeah, but um, and that's the thing about the big ideas yeah. in, in pop songs. Like nobody nobody cares about a big idea in a pop song. That's why I love fucking daft punk around the world it's just a dumb song that is awesome yeah nothing against daft punk yeah how, how big are those guys are they big they were huge, for a little huge. while yeah. no i mean physically could uh, they oh, no, 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 no no they're talking about they're they're slight in build okay although Gimon from daft punk does he studies some he anyway he, rip my face he, off. He, he was in a neck brace for a while from some martial art 
Jesus Christ. Yeah. So. so. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it, with popular music, like you just want to fucking dance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you don't need the whole big idea. Right. The brainiacs need to get off the dance floor. But 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 in making intro- no, the brainiacs are usually pushed off the dance floor. But it, am I wrong with that? Well, no, you guys no, are kind of brainiacs. But then Daft Punk are brainiacs that are on yeah. the dance floor. You you guys just clearly don't get what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't <laughs> because right. I'm not a brainiac. I'm just saying you just want to if like popular music you just yeah, want to listen oh, to the yeah, song. Sure. You just want to yeah. like yeah, move. Right. You just want to yeah. move, move yeah. me. Don't yeah. fucking yeah. Give yeah. me some. Don't be clever at me. Yeah, but you're an obsessive you're guy, You're saying like right? Lakeside, Fantastic Voyage. That's you what don't want to overthink it. Just you just want to get on the, it. Just around the world. Around the world. They get don't on the see floor. anything else than around the world. Yeah. So, but you don't regret doing it. No, I love it. <laughs> that's what. That's you know. That's what. Unfortunately, that's what we do. But you, but like, it seemed like a real sort of obsessive kind of weird project. You just kind of kept going, right? You just you wanted those samples to sound perfect, as if they were archival material. You know, honestly. It was the the thing of us collect me personally collecting records and obsessing over forty fives and rare records and and searching and sifting in any kind of pawn shop or mm. thrift store anywhere to find like little rare records to sample and blah blah blah. Yeah. Like, that time had already kind of passed. Yeah. So that obsession, I didn't really have that obsession anymore. You don't? Not not anymore. Do you have the records still? Yeah, I still yeah. have all the records. But but um, but so that that album, Hot Sauce Committee, was kind of like that obsession twisted in this weird yeah, sort right. of way yeah and i and i really like it yeah but my my friend dante carfagna big name in the record game uh is mad at me because i don't have my records out they're all in the storage right yeah, how many you got well, i know i'm getting them get them because you may as well I'm enjoy them you i'm gonna get them in january which is something else i need to talk to you about which we don't you want to me about. to help you schlep all these records yes did you how many you got? Thousands? Yeah, I got thousands of records. Yeah, yeah. You but that's what them? you do yeah. when you're consumed with records. I know, I, I love mean, them. I, I, I've been getting records. Of rec- again. Like, but these I, are just like records I got for a quarter, yeah, for fifty cents a dollar. You know, yeah, I mean, for I the like... samples. Mm-hmm. But you, but yeah. through that process, you became very, uh, uh, like, knowledgeable and and open minded, and like, it blew your brain. It's out right. Like by by looking for samples, you learned about all this different kinds of music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah I like I don't 15 know. Fifteen different copies of uh, the hair soundtrack, <laughs> different yeah. versions. Well, there's so many different versions. <laughs> so of many hair. versions. I have Same to with, go, like, spin, like how many covers of spinning wheels? Do you like how? I mean, lot. how many versions? I've got like twenty. I mean, of spinning wheels. Sure. Put your hand in the hand. Spin- has a breakbeat every every cover version. It's ten past I'm, twelve. I'm I'm <laughs> okay. We're going. What are you guys doing now outside of pushing the book? What are you working on? Um, I think we're going to work on lunch in yeah. the near future. Yeah, right? I yeah. love to work. Coffee and lunch would be. I'd yeah. love to. Have Do you ever it go to Cacao? Future Cacao. Yeah. Cacao. Wait, no. Where, where, where's you live in Pasadena now, right? I'm I'm staying in Pasadena. I'm sorry. Well, Cacao is like <laughs> yes, uh, it's spoken. That's how New York. That's what New York is saying in Pasadena about LA. for now. It's on Colorado, next to the uh, Trader Joe's in Eagle Rock. There's a, a little strip mall there, and there's a place called Cacao Mexicatessen. It's great. It's great. Wow. Cacao. Cacao. Adam, I, if I come visit you, which I rarely do, will you order cacao? You should you should check it out. You like no. Mexican food? <laughs> I won't. <laughs> yeah, I'd rock you like mustard, right? I don't. Yeah. But but I like uh tacos. Yeah, they do cacao. some real good okay. shit there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Mason's dumplings, Eagle Rock. Oh that's oh that's good. It's I haven't uh, haven't been there yet. You like soup dumplings? I I haven't really had them. <laughs> Really? That's yeah. my new that's my new thing. And he's obsessed with you're obsessed. No, but I have a new thing and it's <laughs> <laughs> Do you like it? It 
You hate it. I it hate bothers it. You. It irritates. Like it's like I, I get stressed in like the root of my neck when you do it. It's like it's it's like I can't even control my mental reaction to it. It's your new thing. All right, guys, that was great. Right. I love the book. It was fun talking Thank to you. you. And, yeah. uh, Thank you. Good luck with it. tolerating us. No, I enjoyed the book a lot, and I like the music. Well, there you go. Thank Thanks. you. Take care. All right. So that was it. That was what, uh, that was what happened. It was... Um, <laughs> that's the Beastie Boys. It's a good book. The book is now available. So, yeah, I, I would recommend that. And... and there's never a bad time to listen to Paul's Boutique or Check Your Head or Ill Communication. Those are my beastie records. Again, my tour dates, Wheeler Opera House. Wheeler Opera House in Aspen and the Boulder Theater in Boulder are happening in March, correct? Yes. March 23rd, Wheeler Opera House. March 24th, the Boulder Theater. Uh, tickets available for that at wtfpod.com slash tour. You can get my uh, my last, my latest special, Too Real, in audio format on the homepage of WTFPod.com. And uh, now I will play three to four chords for you with a wah-wah pedal and an echo box. Boomer lives.